I was thinking this week as I was diving into the, the topic here today, how perspective, the way we see things, really changes everything, doesn't it? Perspective, the way that we, the, the lenses that we see life through, really changes things drastically and the way kind of we go throughout our day. And this week I saw that firsthand. I was feeling a, a little bit of a weight. If you guys don't know this, there's, there's a degree of, of weight in speaking to all of you every single week. You show up here and you got your Bibles ready. You're like, all right, what do you got for me this week, Pastor? And, and so, so there's that weight every single Monday morning going back in the, the office. There's like, ah, I just finished, but... It's next week is coming, right? Sunday's coming. And so this week I was feeling that a little bit uh, more than, than usual and, uh, and was just one of those exhales. And it was fun because it, it's fun how God does this. He, he kind of drops these perspective bombs on us. Have you noticed that? He, he does these things where he kind of drops these bombs on us to kind of bring us back to see things in the, in the right perspective. Just when I was feeling the, the weight of that this past week, um, I get a, a text from my friend Joe who's a senior pastor up in Fresno, and, uh, and he, he sent me this text, and I, I'll read what he said. He said, uh, he, this is his text, he said, I was feeling stressed about my sermon that I'm writing today. I'm like, huh, me too. And then he said, and the Lord told me that I'm feeling stressed because I'm overvaluing my part in the process. I'm overvaluing my part in the process. And I was thinking about that, and I was like, what a good perspective bomb. You know, it was just dropped just like, hey, well, like this this is this is not about about me and what I have to say. The, the, the blessing is is that we have a book here that I get to read from. And so that's what we're going to do here this morning. I don't I don't have to teach you some new thought that I came up with. But we're going to work our way through a, a text in God's word. Does that sound okay with you guys? If you've been here for a while, we've been doing that in the book of James. And so we're going to be turning to James chapter 5. We're in verse 7, and we're going to see in the text this morning, because uh, I, I bring up this idea of perspective, is James actually writes this letter, and it drops some different perspective bombs on his audience. He, he, he says, hey, there's a, a new way to look at some of the things you're going through, and, and specifically dealing with the topic of suffering. And so if you guys will turn with me to chapter Five in James, and we're reading from verse seven. I'm in the ESV, and uh, you may have, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the pew in front of you, or make a friend with a person next to you. And it says this: this perspective bomb, verse seven. It says, "Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late." Rains. Let's pause there for a second. The, you'll remember in the last section in chapter 5, just a little bit of a recap, uh, we had had in the first six verses, it was a sharp rebuke towards the, the wicked rich that had been abusing the righteous poor. And so the whole section there, if you remember from last week, was basically saying, like, this needs to stop. Like, you, you can't keep abusing the, uh, the, the people that are less fortunate. And here he's turning a corner. Instead of a rebuke, he's moving towards an encouragement. So instead of talking to the offender, he's now talking to the offended. Rather than the persecutors, he's talking to the persecuted. 
And so this morning, maybe you're showing up and you're feeling a, a little bit on the beat up end of life. I don't know if anybody else has some, some brews that are still a little bit fresh or feeling kind of the weight of, uh, of life as you showed up through the doors here this morning. This is maybe a message specifically for you. And the, the words that he says is he gives this, this challenge, he says, to be patient, to be patient. Anybody else struggle with that, that area, to be patient in suffering? Yeah, patience is, uh, is definitely a growth area in my life. But I, I thought it was interesting as the, the word there used, uh, John MacArthur uh, points out that the word used there for patience is this. It's the word macrothumio. Macrothumio, macro meaning long, and thumio meaning anger. That it takes a long distance between me having something happen and my anger. That's patience. There's a long gap between the two. And so he's saying to the, the audience there, and I thought it was interesting that, he, that it, this, this word first off in the, in the first chapter of James, if you think back, there's patience in our circumstances. This is talking when it's dealing with long and slow to anger. This is patience in dealing with people. Patience in dealing with people. So rather than, than saying like, man, I just need to persevere and be patient in the, my circumstances that are kind of outside of my control. This is more dealing with the patience that's needed for dealing with difficult people. Does anybody have any of those in your life? Anybody sitting next to one of those in your life? Uh, no amens there. No amens. Uh, de- dealing with difficult people is part of the human experience, right? That's, that's kind of part of what we deal with in life. I, I'm, I'm in the middle of that. One of the things when, um, I'm not going to point out anybody in the audience here, of course. So one of the things in, in uh, moving here, I'm actually not dealing with anybody difficult here. But um, one of the things moving t- from Chicago to here, we had a couple different uh, rental properties uh, that we had. And one of the things, challenges in coming here was figure out how to have a, a management company take care of those while we're out of state. And so our first one, we were like, well, we'll wait until one becomes vacant and t- before we move to this management company. Does that make sense? And so I get a call, though, and this is how I find out that I'm about to move to a management company. I get a call from somebody doing a reference check on one of my tenants. I'm like, wait a second, I thought the tenant's supposed to let me know that they're moving out before they get, start moving into somewhere new. But, you know, I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll, just, uh, I'll just go ahead and fill out this reference to, to encourage the person, and I'll, I'll work it out. I guess they're moving out this month, and so I'm in this scramble mode. Then I get a call from that tenant after not telling me that he was moving out. Get the call saying, you know, I think that security deposit, that should cover the last month's rent, Right. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't really work like that. But, but, but so, so the, the patience meter, the long to anger, was being stretched there. Anybody else have that in your week that you can think of something that came up with a, dealing with another person uh, and, and dealing with circumstances in the, in the life that you've been placed? We have lots of opportunities to be patient with difficult people. So this idea here that he presents, he starts by talking about, is he says, you know, we need to think of it from a farmer's perspective. Like, they're, they're very patient people. My wife grew up in Melfort, Saskatchewan, which is in the middle of nowhere. And uh, they do a lot of farming because what else do you do in Melfort, Saskatchewan? And so, and so but I remember 
just talking with her, uh, with her dad a little bit about his farming experience, and he would have a, a real busy uh, spring, I guess that is, right, when they plant. Uh, that's how much farming I've done. Uh, and, and, and then I, I was asking, like, after everything's kind of planted and, and after it's all seeded and, and ready to go, what do, you, what do you do then? It's like, we just wait kind of wait. I'm like, I was like, what What do you mean you just wait? He's like, well, we just wait for the rain to come. You know, you wait for the crops to start growing, and then then in the harvest season, you harvest it. And that's that's exactly what he's saying here in our, our text this morning is this, what if we had the mentality of a farmer in our suffering? What if we recognized that there's a lot of things, because a far, in a farmer's world, there's a lot of things that are outside of their control, Right? They can't control the rain, they can't control the sun, they can't control really much of anything, so what do they do? They wait. What if in our suffering we had that same mentality of just, just going to wait, see what God's going to do in this circumstance, and just going to follow the farmer's example? So that's a, maybe a, a first perspective that I thought was interesting, but he, he goes on in the text to drop a total, and somebody might have a different count in here, but I picked out Four different perspective bombs, we're going to call them that here this morning, that he drops on the audience that helps in that waiting process. That helps in that waiting process. The first one we're going to see in verse 8, we're going to see this first practical bomb, is that we're to wait, but we're to anticipate his return. Anticipate his return. Verse 8 says this, You also, like the farmer, be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. At one point I saw a sermon that um, Francis Chan did, and he had an illustration that I thought really captured this idea. I have this rope up over here. And I, if you guys can use your creativity with me a little bit, this rope that I'm going to stretch out here, all right, this always works a lot better in theory than when you're standing in front of 300 people. All right, so here we go. This rope, we'll start it over here. Stretch it out, stretch it out. Where's it going? Where's it going? This is more tangled than I thought. More tangled, more tangled. Now, now imagine we kind of stretch this out and, and see how that rope starts right over there, right on the side. Imagine if that rope actually started here and wrapped around the globe like four times. So is that good? I'll give you a little bit of perspective. So, so this rope, if it wrapped around, started right there and wrapped around the globe four times. So can you, you, you tracking with me? So this rope represents our, the timeline of our existence. The timeline of our existence. Now on this rope, do you guys see this little red section here? That represents... Our time here on earth. That represents our time here on earth. Now the perspective that he's pointing out to us that are in the middle of our suffering is why do we get so stressed about this section when we have all of that section, remember it's wrapping around the globe, to think about. 
Why do we get so caught up in this section? We get in our mindset of just like, well, if I work during this part and I save enough, then during this part I'll be comfortable. Then in this section I'll retire. And this, you know what I mean? Like we get so consumed in this little section of our timeline that we forget about eternity. That's his first perspective drop. Is he saying in the text there, he's pointing out that, hey, guess what? When Christ comes, when he gets back, the play's over. This is all done. That's for when, if we're a believer, if we've embraced Jesus Christ's death as payment for our sins, none of this trying to earn our way there, peace. When we've actually bent our knee and accepted that, man, I can't do this. When we've accepted that it's through Christ alone, his death as payment for our sins, that then when Christ gets back here, this all starts. This white part, this, this red part comes to an end. And, and, and how much does that part matter? How much does that part matter? How much of a, of a big deal is that? And so in the text, he, he's saying to us, be patient, establish your hearts. Get an anchor. I love the word establish, the idea of getting a, an anchor down. Anchoring your heart in this reality. In this reality that once Christ returns to deliver us as believers, I, I love that idea that he's coming back. We have no idea when, right? One of the things that's kind of fun in in uh, theological world, and uh, John can attest to this, most theologians have some different opinions on end-time events. Would you agree to that, John? Like lots of people have. But one of the fun, fun things is consistency and most believing that the timeline of things that needed to happen before Christ's return, that's finished. We're, we're not waiting on a lot. There's not a lot of things we're checking on to see like, oh, I wonder when this is going to happen. No, we're, we're there. We're there. And so this reality that he's pointing out, he's saying, he's saying, man, cling to the fact that the next event scheduled for Christ is to deliver believers from this world of troubles. The next event on his timeline is coming back for us in our suffering. So when you're going through stuff, when you're going through difficult stuff, man, cling to that reality, that perspective, because when the author comes on stage, the play is over. And when you keep that perspective, all of a sudden, missed rent payments, eh, who cares, whatever. Uh, the mistreatment by a, a co-worker, Ah, who cares? You know, Christ is coming back. No worries. Like, like all of a sudden, do you see how the trials and the things that we're going through with difficult people, that perspective changes everything, the brevity of life, right? So that's what he's pointing out first there in, in the text, the first perspective, is that we're to anticipate his return. I'd love just even more of an excitement on people's face, like all the time where you're just like, I don't know when he's coming might be today, might be tomorrow, I don't know. Like, it's, it's happening, it's coming soon. Like, can you imagine if we lived in that kind of perspective? That would change everything. That would change everything. You continue in the text in verse 9, is this next section. It says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Again, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. What is our tendency when we, uh, when we get impatient? Our tendency is to find ourselves kind of grumbling a little bit, right? I, I was at, uh, at, Walmart seems to draw that out of me. 
Like, I, I find myself at Walmart for much longer periods of time than I ever anticipated. That was the uh, night before last. We're at Walmart, and I'm just sitting there, and Adrian has this mile-long list of things to buy for our uh, ever-growing family. And, uh, and she's going through. She's going down the aisles. I find myself in the Barbie section, you know? I'm with my two little girls. I'm in this, uh, this row of all pink, and I'm just sitting there. Just sitting there, and, and like I was just fighting everything within me to stop from grumbling. Like I just wanted to go home. And, uh, and, and so this girl, does Walmart do that to anybody else? Anybody ever see that uh, website about Walmart people? Very funny. Side note. All right. Um, okay, so, so this, this idea, I don't know where that re- really even came from, but the, uh, the idea of being impatient and our tendency is moving us to grumbling, and he's saying there that those that are tempted to complain about their current sufferings and and pain, and man, Walmart wasn't a good example, but those that are really going through a hard time, he's saying to them, he's cautioning them, don't grumble, Don't, don't complain about that. And why does he say that? He says, because the judge is standing at the door. One of the things I love to do when we're kind of running around with the kids in our, in our house is uh, they'll, they'll be chasing me around, and I'll just tuck into a room and just stand right behind the door, right? And then what do you do when the, when the kid comes around? You're like, ah! And they're like, ah! And that, that, that freaking out kid piece, I don't know why we like that so much. Or maybe it's just me. I have issues. Uh, but, but that idea... That idea of standing right around the side of the door, that was the picture that, that came to mind when he's saying the, the judge is just standing there. He's just, he's just waiting. It could be any moment. It's almost like, hey, soon as soon as that door is about to open, like it, it, it's going to change everything. And so for those of us, this means a couple different things that the judge is coming. For those of us, the first thing is when you're dealing with uh, suffering at the hands of somebody mistreating you, uh, guess what? God sees that. They're going to give an account to Almighty God for their actions. Especially if you're a beloved child of God, if you're in the family of Christ, like, God's noticing that, right? Do you guys notice it when somebody mistreats one of your kids? Like, yeah, you pay attention to that. And so Creator God notices that, and his, he, He's coming. The, the judge is coming. He's right at the other side of the door. So perspective change, all of a sudden, the things that you're going through, you're like, man, I don't, maybe I don't need to worry about judging that person. Maybe I don't need to fix that or condemn them like, because the judge is coming. The judge is coming. There's going to be justice. There's going to be justice served. And if we're honest, as I was kind of wrestling through this text this week, the justice that the person that's apart from Christ is going to receive probably far like it's probably greater than we think should happen to the person that's wronged us does that make sense like we have this idea of like man they really got it coming well if somebody doesn't know christ no they they really do have it coming you know what i'm saying so maybe that might even soften our hearts a little bit towards people instead of having this perspective of like the judge is coming like no man i'm sorry because you really don't get it how bad things are about to get and so that, that first idea of counting on his, on his judgment, but the, the idea, the second piece, so the one in there is that there will be justice. But then second, a lot of times I think as believers we forget this reality, that our works here on earth are going to be judged. That we as believers are also going to give an account to that same judge. 
Now, that, that the result of that isn't judgment for us, but it's rather not. And Scripture is clear about that all over the place. 2 Corinthians 5.10 talks about standing before the throne. 1 Corinthians 3.13 talks about us having to give an account for our actions and there being uh, gifts extended. And, and I was thinking about this. I always think about this when the rewards idea comes to mind. Is like, man, wouldn't it stink to show up where everybody's bringing their gifts and the rewards delayed at Christ's feet? And you're like... And I got nothing. I got nothing. Like showing up to a birthday party without a gift, you're just kind of hiding in the corner, pretending that you're not really. But this idea of rewards that we're, we're going to stand before that judge, and, and, and trust me, man, we're, we're going to want to have something to lay at Christ's feet. So the perspective of counting on this judgment coming, the judge is standing at the door. Verse 10, as it continues, this third perspective is following his servant's examples. Verse 10 says this, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. You see there in the, the text that he's pointing to the people that are going through this suffering at the, at the hands of, of people mistreating them. He, he's saying, man, man, look at some of the other examples. Sometimes it helps for us to look at the perspective of man, at what somebody else is going through. It brings our reality back down to earth. You know, like we're like, man, maybe I don't have it so bad because of what some other people have gone through. Like that, that's what he's saying there. He's saying, take, take a look at some of the examples of, of, of the prophets that went through unbelievable degrees of suffering. And they remain steadfast, it says in the text. And it says, we consider them blessed. They're blessed because they persevered. They stayed steadfast through their trials. And he, he, he says, I love the idea that he says uh, that, that these, that these uh, prophets spoke in the name of the Lord. I, I hit pause there for a second in the, in the text of uh, thinking of the, the suffering that all of these prophets did as they're speaking in the name of the Lord. I was thinking, man, wasn't that, isn't that a cool idea that a prophet, that was his job, was to actually get to speak in the name of the Lord? Like, what a cool thing to be like. I'm a representative of, of God speaking in his name, and these prophets that did that. And I was like, oh, wait a second. Pretty much that's what Paul said we are, right? Ambassadors for Christ. We get to be speaking for the name of the Lord. I, I implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. This idea of us being spokesmen. And so as he's pointing out spokesmen in Scripture, he's saying, man, he's like, they, they were considered blessed because they remained steadfast. They, they, they kept in the middle of suffering. They remained patient. They remained patient through all of that. Think through the list. I, I found this list kind of compiled. David was hunted by Saul. Imagine being hunted by a person with the intent of killing you. Anybody have that going on in your life? Maybe not. The Elijah had the, the king that wanted to just put him out. Jezebel, his wife, was just ready to uh, yeah, take Elijah out. The Jeremiah consistently had opposition. Ezekiel going through the death of his wife. Daniel taken from his homeland and then thrown to a den of lions? Like, how crazy is that? He persevered, stayed patient in suffering at the hands of other people. Hosea's heartbreaking marriage. Amos faced lies and scorn. John the Baptist, what happened to John the Baptist? How did things come to an end for him? Like, that, that's crazy. That's craziness. 
Stephen getting stones thrown at him. You know, like, like imagine that being put to death by people throwing stones at you. That's crazy. Crazy. And so the, the suffering, all of a sudden, when you look at the perspective of what some of the other, uh, our forefathers that, that walked and followed Christ, and even still examples of that in our world today with present-day martyrs, people going through things at the hands of other wicked people, he's saying, just be patient, persevere, persevere. And so maybe some of us need to take our eyes off of our own junk and be like, man, comparatively, this isn't quite so bad, right? Comparatively. Then he brings up, so that was the general example. He brings up a more specific example. Who does he point out to in the text? Job, that's right. We always think of Job as like somebody that just went through it all. If you haven't read Job for a while, man, he, he took a shellacking, right? Like he, that's a good word, right? Uh, uh, that's a dad word. Yeah, I pick up things like that. Uh, uh, but, but the, I mean, Job's story is just unbelievable trial after trial. And I love this. In Job 1.22, it says this about Job. In all this, all the trials, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Or then verse, uh, or chapter 13, verse 15 of Job, this was Job's word. I would love if we were able to say this in our trial. This is what Job said in the middle of all of his trial. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. What a beautiful picture of patience in suffering. Patience and suffering. That's what we're invited to. He's saying, you gotta, you got to follow the example that's been set for you with these different prophets. With Job, he's modeled that and seen and realized. I thought it was interesting. It says, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. After we're kind of pulled out of that story of Job, what was the purpose? To transform him, to shape him into his likeness. He used some of the miserable things that Satan intended to do to him to use those, to mold him into his likeness and to, and to give him more of a, a, a perspective on the greatness of God. Maybe for us, that's what we need to hear this morning, is we need to see the bigger perspective, recognizing that the trials that we're going through, the end goal, just so we know, isn't our comfort. The end goal is our transformation into his likeness. And so the things that you're going through and you're like, man, why is God doing this to me? How could he let that happen to me? It's because he's transforming you. He's using the things of this world to, to make you more like himself. So there's a less of a gap between the, the heavenly version of Scott and the earthly version of Scott. Reducing that gap. So we see the purposes there. So following the servant's examples, and this last one I think is great, is that this idea in the, the verse there of clinging to his character. Clinging to his character. Sometimes that's all we can do. It says there in the text how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. That's what Job got to see. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. It's so easy when we're in the middle of suffering to ask ourselves like, what, doesn't God even care about me? Have you ever found yourself in that place? Like, doesn't God even care about me, what I'm going through? What a lot of times we have to cling to is truth pointed out here in his word. Because this world can kind of get us swayed and tossed and we forget that stuff. And we need to go back to some truths about his character. And the truth about his character is two things we see here. Is that he's compassionate and merciful. The word compassion defined is this. Sympathetic pity and concern for the suffering of others. 
sympathetic pity and concern for the suffering of others. God knows what you're going through, and it breaks his heart. When you're going through hard times, like he's not, he's not absent. It's saying here that he's compassionate in that. He knows he's sympathetic to the suffering that you're experiencing. He knows it. This, this last week, we got the message in the church office. Uh, Linda, Linda Boyer's um, niece uh, has a 14-month-year-old daughter named Madeline. And we got the, we got the message uh, from the church to, to be praying for Madeline because Madeline suffered in a, in a drowning accident. And Madeline was there. They were, they, they were, uh, they were, the helicopter lifted her. Is that correct, Linda? Uh, her to the, to the hospital because they weren't sure if little Madeline at 14 months old was going to make it. Man. I was like, when we heard that in the church office, we came together praying, praying directly for little Madeline and just, just broke my heart. I don't know if you guys are like that. Sometimes hearing a story like that, picturing my little girl swimming in a pool and, and, and finding them underneath the water. And, and, and what do you do there? What do you do? And, and the, the suffering that, that, that they must have been going through, man, I'll tell you what, that was pretty traumatic. Thank the Lord God is so good and kind. Like she's in full recovery now. She has a few uh, things that she's getting over now. I guess pneumonia. But but God has been faithful in answering the prayers. The little Madeline's life was was saved. Praise God for that. But but I thought of that in the idea of compassion is the same way on a very very small scale that we hear a story like that and we're just like our, our heart is just like breaking for somebody else. Creator God that loves you more than you could ever ever imagine when you're going through something it breaks his heart it breaks his heart he has compassion and sympathy for what you're going through it breaks his heart and that's what sometimes we need to cling to in the middle of our trials just like when you're asking that question and and satan sneaks in those lies does god even care about me yes he does he's compassionate not only compassionate it says also in the text that he's merciful that he's merciful that his, his mercy as de- defined as this, spared or rescued from judgment. Spared or rescued from judgment. Not only does he show, not only does he show compassion, he spares and rescues us from judgment. The idea that our sin has so pushed us absent of the almighty perfect God, but his, his mercy has allowed us through Jesus Christ to be restored to him that's a fantastic thing. That's an amazing thing about his character. As I was thinking about that, as, as, as we're clinging to that part of his character, is the fact that since we don't get what we deserve, we should be okay with others not getting what they deserve, right? Since we don't get what we deserve, we should be okay with others not getting what they deserve. And so when we're dealing with suffering and we're dealing with the, at the hands of somebody else wronging us, we should be okay with that because we're modeling Christ's example. He's compassionate and he's merciful, not giving what we deserve. So another thing to cling to is his character, the fact that he cares about us intimately. In the text here, it's a, a, a unique transition in the last section there. And I think I brought that up at the, at the beginning of this series, was saying like there's a tendency of James to maybe sometimes not fall in a nice four-point po- four outline. And, and so all week I was kind of wrestling through how do you transition from talking about these perspectives 
uh, these awesome things to cling to, to when we're going through trials to this last section. And guess what? I never really figured it out. Are we okay with that? Are we okay with that? I have no idea how to make this transition right now. Is that all right? A little grace there? So, but there's one last section that I didn't want to leave out because I didn't write the book. He wrote the book. And so this is the last section here in, in, uh, in this part of James. He says this. He says, but above all, and you guys can write me an email if you figure this out. But above all, my brothers, the but uh, points out the fact that he's transitioning to a new subject, as MacArthur told me. Uh, but, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you will not fall under condemnation. The idea, I, I, I think it's part, this is, this is my little take on it. Every single chapter in James talks something about the tongue and our words. And I think he was getting close to the end of that section. He's like, I got to say something about the tongue because it's so critical. Maybe not. Maybe not. That's just a uh, vote by, uh, no, I'm just kidding. We're not going to vote on that. But uh, that, that's one idea. Is the, the idea that here that he's saying in that, in that time and period is that they didn't have a, this was prior to the written contract, so they didn't have a written contract. And so what people would do to my understanding is that they would say, yes, I'm committing to do this, and I swear by, and fill in the blank with whatever it is, whether it's on, you, you, know, you know where I'm going there. But the idea for, for us, the takeaway is this big idea here that he's pointing out as he concludes the, the chapter is saying, just let your yes be yes. What you're saying, when you give your word to something as a Christ father, follower, there shouldn't be any kind of a tagline like, I swear on my grave, like I swear on, like, that, that, that's not necessary. We as believers want to be known so that, hey, if he says it, it's going to happen, right? If he makes that commitment, if, if my tenant says he's going to get the carpets clean before he moved out, oh, he didn't do that, uh, uh, then, then, uh, then, then it should be a yes. Uh, let our yes be yes. You know what I'm saying? Like that, That's the last thing that he calls us to, and I wasn't really sure where to tie that into this idea of compassion and suffering, but I thought that was maybe a nugget that maybe somebody here this morning needed to hear, right? Maybe you've too long been kind of letting your yeses not so much be a yes. We commit to something, don't really follow through on it. We say we're going to be there at a certain time. Uh, it doesn't really happen. Like maybe, maybe that was a word at the end of this message. I don't know. It's in his word, and so that's why I was passing it on to you. But the big idea here in the, the text's primary idea was dealing with suffering. How do we deal with it? Our perspective, as you can see from the text, has everything to do with it. Christ is returning. Justice will follow. His servants have set a great example for us to follow. And if not, if that's not enough, we can cling to the fact that we have a compassionate and merciful God. Let me pray for us. Dear God, we thank you for this chance to pause and have a couple perspective bombs dropped on us. And it's something that only your word can do. God, we just thank you so much that you use... Uh, pages of scripture to speak exactly into the, our place of need. In this area, I know there's got to be folks that are here even this morning that are suffering at the wrongs of people just mistreating them, unfairness, 
things that just haven't gone the way that they know they're supposed to go. And this is a, a, a message that each one of us can cling to when we're in the middle of that. The fact that this is such a short period of time, that timeline that goes on and on is so small that we're here on this earth in comparison to eternity. I pray that we'd cling to that. We cling to the hope of your return. God, I pray even in the middle of whatever circumstance somebody's in right now, that that would give them hope. I pray too just the, the idea of justice is coming. That that is around the corner. You're standing at the door. You're, you're so close to coming back. We can cling to that, that justice is coming. That other people have gone before us and successfully navigated trials that probably exceed our own. And God, in this last challenge, this last perspective that we see in the text, I thank you for that. The idea that you are merciful and compassionate. You don't give us what we deserve. Thank you for that. Thank you that you don't give us what we deserve. And your compassion, that your heart breaks when we're going through these trials, God. There's hope that we can find in that. That there's the God of the universe that cares about even the silliest, smallest things we're going through. God, we thank you for that. We thank you that you're a present God in our lives. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's live in this reality this week, all right? This week, if uh, you do have something that we can be praying for you about, man, I'll tell you what, one of the gifts that we're able to offer as a church, it's supposed to be a house of prayer, right? And so for if you are going through something this week, we'd love to have you come forward. We have the elders that are coming forward now just to pray for anything that you're going through to uh, be able to turn that at his feet so you don't have to carry that burden, all right? God bless you. Have a fantastic week. Thank you.